Thank you, Janie. Well, good to see all of you here this morning. Welcome you once again, and those of you joining us online, all of our baptism families and guests. Uh, my name is Jay, if I have not met you yet, and many of you know this, when you open the inner flap of our worship guide, you'll see our vision statement that says to lead all generations to find and follow Jesus for the flourishing of our city and beyond. For us, that's not just a catchy phrase. We truly believe that when we commit to follow Jesus, our families, our friendships, the schools and workplaces, the, the transformation takes place because when we choose to follow the Lordship of Jesus, things begin to happen. And I'm so grateful because when you give to the general operating budget, together you help us fuel this mission. And I just want to say thank you. You have been so incredibly generous. In the month of December alone, you gave over $4 million, and we're so grateful for helping us to start the brand new year with this incredible strength. So thank you. Thank you for being a generous congregation. Well, our guest pastor for today, his name is Scotty Scruggs, and he's a senior pastor at North Shore Church in the greater Seattle area. He's married with two kids, ages three and six, and Scotty met Brian while they were at Stanford together, and they were roommates for three years in seminary, and we're so grateful that Scott is here with us. Scotty, we come on up and we join in welcoming Scotty Scruggs with us. Well, Jay, thank you for that warm welcome, and it is truly an honor to be here. As Jay said, I'm a pastor in the Seattle area, and yes, there are still churches in the Seattle area, if you were wondering. Uh, but just so you know, I didn't grow up on the West Coast. I actually grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. Any Arkansas people? Yep, I see a few hands. It's great. We might know some of the pe same people. Heck, we might be related. Um, <laughs> Arkansas is one of those places. Uh, but all that to say is I have a number of friends who live here in the Dallas area. In fact, I actually lived just a few miles from this church years ago for a ministry internship. So while you don't know me, being here feels very much like being at home for me. And though mostly it's because I got to hear uh, your former pastor, Brian, talk about you all the time. And he loved you and he loved this church. And so even though I don't know many of you, I just feel like as I stand here, I love you and I love this church. So let's close in prayer. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I do have a message, Val. I'm not going to spend much time talking about my friendship with Brian. Uh, I got to share a number of things when I was here for the memorial service. But I do want to start with one story of ours that I think will set the table for I believe God wants us to go during this message. So it was the winter of 2010, and Brian and I and a few friends were skiing near Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Now, just some context, Brian and I and some of our friends have been skiing together every winter for about 25 years. And remarkably, in all those years, there's been no major injuries save one. Now, I'd like to tell you it happened to one of the other guys, but no, it, it happened to me. And I'd like to tell you that it, uh, it involves some daring, you know, like doing a backflip off a cliff or some impressive maneuver, but no, I injured myself walking to the ski lift. And I wish I could tell you I just twisted my ankle or sprained my knee, but no, I slipped on a patch of ice and I fell face, face, face first into the handle end of my ski pole, which hit me right in the eye. 
And I got to tell you, it was awful. I was bleeding. I couldn't see. I had to be rushed to the emergency room. And from there, I actually had to fly to a specialized eye hospital where I almost immediately had surgery. Now, I don't want to make anybody queasy, but I do have a picture I think we can show of just me. Can we get that one up of where it was me? Just, yeah, right. So there's, there's the injury. Now, the good news was the doctor said after surgery, I was going to look a little more like this. Can we get up with the picture post-op? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, modern medicine is only so good. But the surgery went well. I fully recovered. You can take Brad Pitt down. People will be distracted if you leave that up. Um, Here's why I tell you that story. When I got hurt, it was Brian who sat with me. And when I was in the ER, it was Brian who stayed with me while the other guys went back out to ski. And when I wasn't sure I was going to be able to see again, it was Brian who reassured me. Brian used his gifts as a pastor to bless me, even when we're out on this ski trip. Because, and here's kind of my point, Brian used every part of his life his leading ability, his communication gifts, even his sense of humor as a gift that God had entrusted to him so he could love and serve other people. I'm not saying Brian was perfect. Nobody here is perfect. But Brian used all of his gifts to show the world around him just who God really is. Which brings me to the series that you've been in as a church called the heart of the father. And one of the most overlooked characteristics of the father's heart for us is his trust in us. The fact that he's entrusted us with gifts, skills, resources, relationships, so that we get to experience the joy and significance of living for something greater than ourselves but I don't want you to take my word for it this morning. I want you to hear how Jesus described it in a story he once told about how much God has entrusted to people like you and me and why it matters so much in our everyday lives. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, if you want to follow along. And I just want to say, this is a challenging story. Is it okay if we get a little challenged today? And if not, by the way, you can send all of your complaints to Lee at hppc.org. That's where you can... Anyway, Jesus begins the story this way you can follow along. He says, It, meaning the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, some versions will say talents, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five, gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. The man who had uh, received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. I just want to pause for a moment because the story as a whole, maybe it sounds familiar, or maybe this is your first time at church, and so this is all new. The story begins with a shocking scenario. This man who represents God in the story calls his servants together and entrusts them with a huge amount of wealth. Just so you know in the context, five bags of gold or five talents would have been the equivalent of a hundred years of income for the average day laborer. Just imagine getting that as your Christmas bonus this year, right? 
Two bags means 40 years of income, and one bag or one talent is 20 years of income, which is a lot. And now these servants get to decide on their own how they're going to use all of this wealth, all of these resources. It's totally up to them, which feels like a pretty big risk on God's part, right? Uh, as Jay said, my wife Nina and I have two kids who are six and almost four years old, and we love them unconditionally. In fact, one of my bedtime rituals with our kids is to say, Daddy doesn't just love you this much or this much or this much. Daddy loves you this much. Well, a few years ago, I went into our three-year-old, three-year-old daughter's room, and I found her holding an orange marker. Now, I don't know how she got that orange marker because we don't keep, we keep the markers, you know, locked away in a safe in the garage under a blanket with like shards of glass on top because you can't trust a three-year-old with an orange marker. That's like parenting 101, okay? Well, somehow Nora found an orange marker and used it to practice coloring all over the carpet. And she knew she was in trouble when I walked in the room because she looked me straight in the eye and said, Daddy, I love you this much right? Now here's why I tell you that story. For God, for the God of the universe to entrust his resources, his wealth, his creativity, his power to you and to me is kind of like giving an orange marker to a three-year-old. And rightly so. I mean, look at the mess that we've made of his great world, but this is still God's heart for his children. He doesn't just love us, though he does. He entrusts us with spiritual gifts and creative gifts and intellectual gifts and athletic gifts and financial gifts and leadership gifts and caring gifts and administrative gifts and teaching gifts. And by the way, by the way, especially for those of you who are skeptics or not sure about faith, there is no other God like this. The gods of other faith traditions might be described as powerful or transcendent, but I know of no other God who looks at people like you and me and says, I want to give you the dignity of my trust. Just think about that for a moment. Even knowing the sum of us and the mess we're going to make with it, that's the heart of the Father. He trusts you. He has entrusted you with so much But notice in the story, the man didn't give his servants the exact same gifts. One received five, another two, another just one. And my first response to that, and maybe some of you were thinking this, is that doesn't seem fair. It's kind of like what happens in in our house on Christmas morning. Some of you may open your presents on Christmas Eve. We do Christmas morning because that's what the Bible teaches. And uh, it doesn't. I'm just kidding. But our kids don't just rush to the tree to open their gifts. No, no, no. They rush to the tree and they start counting them. Any other parents, you guys know what this is about, right? You know, here's one for me. Here's one for you. Here's one for me. Here's one for you. And if at the end, they don't receive the exact same number of gifts, they don't say, wow, but look at all the gifts I still got. Or thank you, mom and dad, for all your work wrapping these papers. What do they say? Three words. You know it. That's not And thankfully, we've all grown out of that kind of thinking, haven't we? Or maybe not so much. I'll be really honest, I am still tempted when I see someone who has more stuff than me 
or leads a larger church than me or is a more sought after speaker than me to say to myself, God, that's not fair. Heck, you guys made me follow Max Lucado. Thanks a lot, Jay, by the way, for that. I really appreciate that. Goodness. And yes, there are parts of our world that are deeply unfair and need God's justice. But my complaints, again, just to be honest with you, my complaints aren't really about fairness because I only think life is unfair if I have one bag of gold and I see someone else that has five, right? But if I have five, what do I say? Well, I've paid my dues. I've worked hard. Get this, I deserve it, right? That's not fairness, friends. That's entitlement. You know, that presumption that says, I deserve special treatment. I deserve extra credit. I deserve what life or what God owes me. And this kind of thinking is all over our culture today. For example, there was a young man who was interviewing for a job. And after just 10 minutes, the hiring manager that was talking to him just told him straight out, sorry, I don't think you're a great fit for this job. And the young man said, I don't understand. I'm qualified. I meet all the criteria. You know, if anyone deserves this job, he said, it's me. And the hiring manager said, well, maybe so. But throughout our entire conversation, you've been sitting on your phone texting the whole time. True story. And so the guy left. And two hours later, the hiring manager got an angry phone call about that interview. Any guesses on who called? His mom. Somebody said it out there. His mom called and said, how dare you reject my son? I mean, can you believe that? And I had to tell her, mom, you can't keep calling about my job interviews anymore. It's just, it's a little embarrassing. It actually wasn't me, but it's a true story. And it shows us not just what entitlement is, but how it spreads. Entitled parents raise entitled kids who make entitled friends who post entitled TikToks. And it just, it spreads and it goes and it goes until you have an entitled culture, which is the kind of culture we all live and swim in now. But here's the thing, friends, in God's eyes, we are not entitled. We are entrusted, which means instead of pining for what we don't have, God is going to hold us accountable for what we do with what we do have, which takes us back to our story, picking up in verse 19. Jesus says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought another five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. Now watch this. His master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now notice the master responds to both of these servants in the exact same way. He didn't say, hey, this guy made five. Why didn't you bring back five? Why do you just have two? No, he affirms both servants with the exact same words, which means, and this is a really important spiritual principle in our lives, you are only accountable for what God has entrusted to you. And I want everyone to just exhale. You're not accountable for a life you haven't been given or resources you don't have 
or opportunities that haven't come your way. God understands that life isn't even. God knows we're born into different situations, leading to different experiences and opportunities. And so you are only accountable for the life God has entrusted you. But there's a part two of this principle, and this is kind of the hard news. uh, And it's this, you are fully accountable for what God has entrusted to you. Because one day, one day, the true owner of every dollar, every skill, every opportunity, every relationship, every social connection, everything you have, one day the owner is going to come back and he won't just ask you, did you go to church or join a small group? He's going to say, I entrusted you with a marriage and a family. What did you do with it? He's going to say, I entrusted you with certain skills and talents. What did you do with it? He's going to say, I entrusted you with financial resources. What did you do with them? He's even going to say, I entrusted you with that challenge you're facing, that breakup, that divorce, that mental health struggle, that loss. How did you steward it? Here's a question. Have you ever thought seriously about what you're going to say? I told you, it's a challenging story. Which brings us to the third servant, verse 24, if you're following along. The man who had received just one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Notice servant number three is very much blaming the master for his own choices. He's basically saying, if you weren't such a demanding guy, I would have managed your, different, your gifts differently. In our context, it might be, I wouldn't have been so careless with my money if you had just given me more of it. Or I wouldn't have been so reckless with my love life if you just given me the relationship or marriage I wanted. Or I wouldn't have been so apathetic at work or school if you just given me the promotion I deserve. You with me? See, the the third servant shows us that our entitlement isn't just based on our own character. It's based on what we believe about God's character. That at the end of the day, and maybe this is what some of you are thinking right now, he's stingy, he's harsh, he's demanding, he won't provide. Remember what that third servant said, Master, I knew you were what? A hard man. It's a pretty remarkable accusation about a man who'd been so irrationally generous. But the third servant can't see it. The third servant can only see what he doesn't have or what God didn't give him. And so he buries his gifts, takes care of only himself, which means no one else in his life got to see the character and generosity of the master. And friends, that's actually the real tragedy in the story. It's the lives around him that weren't blessed. It's the needs around him that weren't met because that servant said, I don't have enough or I'm just too busy in this season of my life or I just need to focus on my own needs right now. And so the master replies, and this gets really serious. The master replies, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put your money, my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. 
So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten. For whoever has, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I told you, it's a challenging story. Now, just so you know, this story doesn't mean if you've ever been lazy or unfaithful in some way, God's going to cast you out of his presence. But the severity of the master's response is meant to wake us up to the ways in which we live our lives like that third servant. Because some of us have settled for a short-sighted, comfort-driven, I-deserve-better approach to how we use what God has given us in life. And then we cling to what we have and we feel entitled to what we don't. And God is saying through his son, Jesus, that kind of heart has no place in my kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom of God is like a man who calls his servants together and entrusts them with everything. So they could go out and show the rest of the world just how good and generous and beautiful this God really is. And friends, that's what I believe this particular moment in the history of Highland Park Prez is all about. Yes, you have been in a season of transition. And yes, there's been pain and loss and confusion. But here's the thing, friends. The 100-year legacy of this church isn't actually based on the pastors who have stood here and preached. It's based on the women and men who've sat right where you're sitting and said, I'm here to invest what God has entrusted to me. So that this church can uh, reach people far from God and invest in the next generation and meet needs here and all around the world. That is your great legacy as a church. And that's the invitation the Father is extending to each one of us again today. Whether you've been here for years or it's your first Sunday, don't live an entitled life. Live an entrusted one even if all you think you have is one little talent. Because here's the thing, you never know what God will do or who he'll reach or what they'll do with their life. One last story and I'll be done. After I graduated from college, uh, I basically failed in my first career and I ended up working a number of different jobs, including moving furniture at a furniture store, which I was terrible at. I can still remember actually trying to move this large antique dresser to someone's truck and I literally was not strong enough to do it. And so someone who was four times my age had to come over and help me. And she didn't even work there, okay? So it (laughs) it was not my best moment. But I remember thinking in that season, this isn't fair. I deserve better. You know, my life is a mess until a friend came to me and challenged me saying, Scotty, what is one thing that God has entrusted to you, even in this moment in your life, that you can invest and use for his kingdom and for his glory? And I realized that even in my depressed state at that time, there was one thing that I did have. I had time. And so I started volunteering my time in the college ministry in my church. And friends, that one decision, that one little investment changed my life forever. I mean, not only did it lead to my calling and career as a pastor, but much more importantly, I got to experience the joy of watching God use me to impact the lives of so many students from all over the world who've gone on to do so many amazing things. 
including a goofy college freshman from Texas named Brian Dunnigan. You see, friends, you never know what God will do or who he'll reach or how he'll use that little talent, that little gift, that opportunity he's entrusted to you when you're faithful with it. What you can know for sure is that you get the joy of being part of something bigger than yourself. You get the joy of using your time, your talents, your resources to make an internal difference. You get the joy of seeing God change a life. And friends, that is the master's happiness. Friends, that is the heart of the father. And so I want to close with that simple question my friend asked me oh, so many years ago. What's one thing the Father has entrusted to you? And here's the hard part. What are you going to do with it? Let's take a moment and pray. And so God, we come before you now and just recognize in this moment your great abundance in our lives the ways in which you've blessed us with so many gifts, even if we're in a season of challenge, even if it feels like a season of scarcity, you are the God of abundance. There is no shortage with you. You will always provide. You will always be faithful. But all you ask is that we take a step of faith and trust you today. And I know you've put on my heart, even as I've been standing here, a new way I can step out and trust you. And so I ask that you would move on our hearts right now and that we would respond by saying yes to you. Yes to that one thing that you've entrusted to us that we can share or give or invest or use for your good, for your glory in this world that needs to know through the lives of your servants just how good you are. And so Jesus, we thank you today for being so good to us. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen.